We have two Bible readings this morning. The first is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 to 14. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place in the guest room. Now, in that same region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favours. The second reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 44 to 50. Then Jesus cried aloud, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in the darkness. I do not judge anyone who hears my words and does not keep them, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. On the last day, the word that I have spoken will serve as judge. For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment about what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I speak, therefore, I speak just as the Father has told me. For the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, you left your gift behind him. Morning, everyone. Hello. Welcome and happy Christmas to one and all of you. Uh, we've just read from the last words that Jesus speaks in his public teaching career. It was right before his betrayal and his trial and his death 
And this is, these are the words that Jesus chose to leave everybody with. The last words of Jesus is that his life was about seeing and hearing God. In him, people have seen, they've heard, and they've made their decision about God. In Jesus' life, they saw God. In this baby, sorry, in this baby, come boy, come man, displayed to us God's own heart and mind. For he welcomed the crowds, and, and that's what God's like. He affirmed the poor woman and the half-believing parent, and that's what God's like. He had mercy on the foreigners that everyone considered filthy, and that's what God's like. He defended the adulterer. He called into his circle the most plain and ordinary everyday workers. He helped, he had compassion, and he stood his ground on mercy, and that's what God is like. And in Jesus' words, they heard God when Jesus said, forgive, and when he said, love your enemies. That's what God's like. When he said to give to everyone who asks of you, when he said, blessed are the poor, when he said, you must be servant of all, that's what God's like. When he said that there will be a day of reckoning and when he said, give to Caesar that which is Caesar's and to God that which is God's. This is what God is like. It's a clarifying coming. This is what God is like and this is what God is saying. But to what end? Well, it's all about these words of Jesus and this whole big picture. It's all about there's a salvation for today. I have come, this is from our reading, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in the darkness. I do not judge anyone who hears my words and does not keep them, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Now, I, I, as, as preachers are supposed to do, I kind of wonder what the average Australian makes of that. Christmas celebrates the coming of Jesus, and this is Jesus' message. This is what he says at the last moment. I will save. I'm not here for the moment of judgment, but for salvation. So what we would love Jesus to mean is that he's turning up with an extra slab and some scallops on ice, and he's going to throw a party or add to our party, and it's going to be great, and that will make us all very happy. If he means I'm here to make life a little better, a little more comfortable or enjoyable, then we're, like, we're kind of stoked with that because we are a leisure-heavy culture. I mean, that's really my reflection on this year is that Australians love leisure, love it. Public holidays are just the best. Australians actually love Christmas and Easter because these are the public holiday highlights of the year. Very important to us. And they are the sociably agreed points of leisure. So if Jesus means I've got rest and refreshments, then we're very happy. But the saving Jesus talks about is from the darkness. And saving itself implies danger. And that we don't really like in Australian culture. It's a bit of an insult, isn't it, to suggest that we need 
saving. This isn't Gaza, mate. This is Australia. This is paradise. But the really offensive part, I think, is the suggestion, the implication that life matters. We don't want life to matter more than this, more than public holidays, a lot of leisure, and a job that I can complain about even though I kind of like it. We don't want life to matter that much. But it does matter. Life is so important and so sacred. Human, everyday life is so important and so sacred that God himself took one on. And when he came, it was to help us, to save. So it's a salvation for today about this life. And Jesus also speaks of a judgment of tomorrow. The one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge. On the last day, the word I have spoken will serve as judge. Life matters so much that it has to answer to its importance in the end. That's all judgment means. That our actions are permanent that all our words are irretrievably done, that all our choices remain as a witness to what we have done with life. Now, Jesus did say he didn't come to judge but to save, and that's right. He didn't come to condemn and to let our lives be the last word, but instead offer us an olive branch and say, come with me and you'll be fine. But it's help from what we are doing with life, which is not much. Life is the gift we didn't ask for. We unwrap it all our childhood and discover with horror in our early adult years that it's all made of gold. It's vibrating with holiness and it is fragile with sacredness. And we've already scuffed it And others have dented it. And we're terrified of this gift. We feel a repulsion to this glorious seed and we put it away in a cupboard. But it grows in there all the same, begging for good soil, shaking with restless sleeplessness, looking for light in the darkness. And Jesus says to us, I know that you can't make enough of this. So come with me and we'll make it everything that it needs to be. Jesus' coming is a demonstration to us that life can be lived so much. His life was lived in poverty and abundant glory. It was simple, jobless for a good while, but it was kind and it was good. It says to us that life as it ought to be lived is possible in any place and time, even outside our wealthy, comfortable leisure culture, maybe especially outside it. Life matters all too much, so much that it frightens us. 
Australians have gotten very good at making life about leisure. It's kind of like trying to tame this vine that worms its way out of that cupboard. And it is good to relax and rejoice and enjoy good food and family and cricket. This is also how to use life. But it just isn't the only part. In Jesus, God confronts the world with a life that's full. And at Christmas, Christians celebrate the quaking life of Christ as the true human life that others, that, that Jesus offers to save. Even to us who live in times of peace, in a culture of leisure, with plenty to eat. Even us, Jesus offers saving. And we didn't ask for any of this. It just happened. It just came this kid into the world, living this abundant, glorious life that captured the world's attention from then till now. We didn't ask for any of this. We don't really want life to matter so much, but God gives us the gift, answering a terrible, beautiful, wonderful crisis of life with his help. So let me finish with this um, story. It's a little vignette. Once upon a time, there was an island. It was quite a large island, large enough so that its heterogeneous population could be gathered in several communities in a variety of locales with different topographies, but not so large that any part of it was not known to every other part. And all, of course, sharing the circumference of the beach. The island was very pleasant and everyone seemed content to be on it. As is the case with islands, it was surrounded by what was not known, except for small rafts and canoes that were used for fishing and sailing along the shores. No one ever left the island or even thought to do so. All of the islanders were descendants of castaways, but the memory of the shipwreck that put them on the island was very dim. No stories were told about it. It was not recorded in the histories. Officially, it was denied, for it would seem to detract from the desirability and completeness of the place. One day, down on the beach, a green bottle rode in on the crest of a wave and landed on the sand. An islander was there and picked it up. He noticed a piece of paper inside, took it out and read, Help is coming. Strange. He had never read or heard anything like it. All his needs were taken care of. The island world was completely and happily self-sufficient. He had never supposed that he needed help. All the same, the three-word message touched some level of awareness in him he had no name for. He was intrigued. He looked across the horizon as bland and featureless as always, and saw nothing different. He stuffed the biodegradable paper in the sand, threw the bottle into a recycling barrel at the edge of a dune, walked home and said nothing about it to anybody. A few weeks later, walking on the same beach, the man picked up another bottle. There was a message in this bottle also. It read, help will arrive soon, don't give up. Twice is not an accident. He told a friend, they went to the beach together. 
They had long enjoyed the feel of the sand, the curve and colour of the shells, the sounding rhythmic waves, but now they found themselves looking for bottles. Occasionally they would find one, as always, with the absurd message, help left yesterday, take heart, help will certainly come. Absurd because they didn't need help, and yet morning after morning they were there looking, reading those message fragments that were telling them something they had never known that they wanted to hear. Word got around. On Sunday mornings especially, there would be quite a gathering of people on the beach, attentive to the waves, wondering if the next swell would bring a bottle with a message in it. Weeks would go by without a bottle, and then two or three would be washed up together. Most people couldn't see what the excitement was about, with an island full of well-written books, carefully edited dictionaries, and cleanly written handbooks. They had information and explanations for everything that they had ever seen and had to deal with. Why would anyone stand around on a chilly beach in the morning hoping for a cryptic message that wasn't about anything? But those who met on the beach shared a hard-to-describe curiosity and wonder that was new to them in the use of language. Words were being used in these bottle messages in ways they had never experienced to show not what was there, but what was not there. Someone was saying something they didn't understand and taking no particular pains to explain or inform or convince. Curiously, this use of language in a way they didn't understand exercised a pull on them stronger than the language they did understand. Wasn't language the most rational of human activities? How could it so effectively hold their attention when it wasn't making them understand? They weren't learning anything from the messages. They were being addressed by an unknown someone who was telling them something they didn't know they needed. The world was larger, far larger, apparently, than anything for which their language had ever provided evidence. And maybe their lives were larger than the island language was giving expression to. That was what drew them back to the beach those mornings and held their attention to the ritualised waves against the enigmatic horizon. The messages in the bottles had stirred something in them they hadn't known was there, a sense that there might be a lot more to life than the island language had expressed, that there was more outside the island than inside it. From across those seas, someone was saying something to them that sounded like the difference between life and death, or at least between being helped and being helpless. They wanted to know as much as possible about it. Most mornings on the island, on many of its beaches, there are people walking, wonderingly attentive, looking for bottles with a message in them. On Sunday mornings, they gather on some assigned beaches and read to each other what has been collected over the years. A lot of people on the island have yet to figure out what all the fuss is about.